Hi everyone, this is Abu from IASC and you are listening to IASC Fitness Podcast, the show that talks about health and fitness, strength and conditioning, and sports science for the people who love sport. Today we are talking about MMA strength and conditioning training with Gavin Pratt, Director of Strength and Conditioning in UFC Las Vegas. Gavin, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Abu. I really appreciate it. Yeah, can you introduce yourself more to our audience? Sure. So uh, currently my role is the Director of Strength and Conditioning at the UFC Performance Institute. Prior to that, I was the Manager of Strength and Conditioning at the China UFC Performance Institute, where we had to set up the entire Performance Institute from the ground up. And then I also worked for Exos uh, and the Shanghai Sports Institute in Shanghai for the National Games. And prior to that, I'd spent most of my career in strength and conditioning in Australia. Ah, great. So, so you are from Australia? I am. <laughs> ah, great. I didn't know that. I didn't know. Yeah, it's just interesting. And I, I was looking in your experience the other day. It was very interesting. You moved to uh, state, work with Exos, and then went to the uh, Shanghai team, and then Team China for a mm -hmm. period, and then right off the time, and then... You moved to the UFC in Sh Shanghai Center and now in Las Vegas. Congratulations. That's really interesting. Thank you very much. Uh, and I think experience. I think one of the, the coolest things that we have as an option in this industry is that we're able to use our jobs to travel and see the world and, and immerse ourselves in different cultures. And for me, that's a large part of what I do. It's not just a job. It's the ability to see different people, different cultures, and different workplaces. And I think we're really fortunate for that to happen. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I want to talk about the UFC. I mean, uh, because uh, I had a wrestling background and I was in, when I was in primary and middle school, I tried wrestling. You know, I'm from uh, Iran, from Iran. So we are, we are quite good at wrestling. And so I'm following with, you know, Muay Thai, Jiu-Jitsu, wrestling, Judo, and all combat sport. And I realized UFC the past like 10 years suddenly come up and just pass all those uh, MMA organization and now they are good. What, what, what do you think about this? Why UFC is that much successful? Well, UFC is the original MMA tournament. They started 28 years ago now. And originally the first tournaments were to see what martial art was the best martial art. So they'd, they would have a very underground scene. There was one tournament and they would try and get sumo wrestlers versus karate or uh, Muay Thai versus Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And then yeah. it kind of morphed into what it is today. So I think being the first is always a good start. Uh, yeah. Secondly, it attracts the best martial artists on the whole. Obviously, there's still some exceptionally good martial artists that are competing in different leagues now because they're getting paid better or they're getting um, yeah. more endorsements or the ability to endorse themselves. But ultimately, the UFC is considered the, um, I guess, the peak or the pinnacle of mixed martial arts for fighters in MMA. So if you attract the best talent, most people want to watch it. Exactly. Also, feel like it yeah, put, exactly. puts yeah, on yeah. the best show as well. Yeah, I love to watch the UFC. I mean, always and following and the atmosphere. I think I always appreciate Dan White what he's doing. I mean, with UFC and make this big brand and everyone in the world enjoying watching. Sorry, could you repeat that, mate? It just cut out. Ah, so I say always I. Uh, uh, I, I like to look at the Dan White, you know, Dan White, I mean, the, with UFC, what he's done uh, with the UFC and make it that big. Yes, yeah, Dana White and uh, there's a couple of brothers that bought the business and then it almost went out of business and they put on the very first TV show called The Ultimate Fighter. And on The Ultimate Fighter, there's a famous story they put up where Forrest Griffin, who's in the Hall of Fame, and currently works for the Performance Institute, fought Stefan Bonner. And supposedly some people were tuning in to watch it on live television. And then as, yeah. he, as the fight progressed, the TV ratings just started climbing rapidly. 
until yeah, at the end exactly. they had a huge audience and that that kind of turned the ufc around and made it what it is today and really created such a solid fan base yeah exactly i mean that ufc culture what they do i mean there is a lot of organization i even me i don't watch i mean but when i look at the ufc i mean that's something different i mean i see everyone is watching in any age i mean uh, male females they love to watch yeah and it just it just won the biggest league or most popular league in america so it beat nfl nba and nfl so that's a fairly big achievement considering i guess it would be considered a violent sport for for a lot of the population and for it to win one of the most popular leagues in America was pretty significant. Yeah, that's great. Uh, let's uh, go back to our most important, I mean, our today's topic, strength and conditioning. You know, uh, the, there are a lot of coaches, personal training, performance coach, they want to enter to this combat sport or work with, uh, I mean, UFC athletes, but they don't have that much information. So I will go through some important question that I think is a question for uh, uh, most of the uh, performance cones in combat sport. And the first one I think is uh, we want to talk about the uh, fitness test in uh, UFC athletes. So the athletes come to you. Do you have any uh, combine for like UFC combine or when the athletes come, how do, which kind of tests uh, you go through to get familiar with the level of their fitness? Great question. So we just for a bit of background, very quickly, the UFC Performance Institute in Las Vegas is very different to the one in Shanghai, China. So the one in Vegas um, yeah. works with professional UFC fighters and the one in Shanghai yeah works with professional UFC fighters and also has an academy program, which is a full-time in-house developmental program. So for the developmental program, which is known as the academy, we do do a combine because yeah. we want to recruit athletes. So we have a battery yeah. of tests, which is a little bit different to what we do in Vegas because they're already established fighters. Yeah. Um, there is a crossover. And so what I'll speak about, I guess, are the four main, what we consider or term tier one tests. So the tier one tests tier one test. are basically when we reverse engineered the sport, we decided that these four tests were probably the most important strength and power diagnostics that we could use to just see a baseline of where our MMA athlete yeah. was at. So the first one is we'll do a loaded counter movement jump, look at a load velocity profile. Where are their deficits? Are they deficit at the force end or the velocity end, or are they fairly well balanced? That's for the lower body. The second test that we do is the landmine punch throw, and we'll do a very similar thing. It's a load velocity profile, and we'll be looking at their upper body. And just recently, it's been found that in our academy athletes, it actually was able to determine differences between our tier A athletes, which are the best ones, very close to the UFC, yeah and our tier B and C athletes who are more developmental. So the landmine punch throw plays a role in the upper body power development. Yeah. Then we look at our isometric mid-thigh pull to see what their maximal isometric strength is. Obviously, this is different yeah. to your isotonic strength, which might be your traditional lifts like squats, trap bar, deadlift, bench press, chin-ups, those things. So we want to know what the isometric strength levels are like because it's very relatable to grappling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then finally, our fourth tier one test, we actually do neck strength tests on Valve's force frame. And this is really cool. This is very, um, I guess the way we're approaching it is quite new in the world of S&C and combat sports. And so that's a really exciting area. Exactly. And we're able to utilize that information then to program accordingly, which I think is part of your other question, which was if a strength and conditioning coach wants to train an MMA athlete, what tests should they do and why? Yeah, exactly. Try and get to those four tests, and then you'll be able to compare with the UFC roster um, very soon and see where your athlete is, and then you'll know what you should be doing from a programming perspective. That's great. And I, I was uh, watching one of the some of your videos about the neck training. I mean, it was new for me. It was interesting, and you know, uh, I mean, we I, I do a neck warm up and do what. And we did some uh, neck training I, when I was uh, young. I was doing 
wrestling, mm. but this was very special and interesting. You do the movement, different movement with them. I mean, that I don't know what's the machine you're the using. Iron using uh, iron egg, yeah. and you keep it stable, and you do the different movement, lunching, squat. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, different movement. I was, I was, I said, wow, this is a nice equipment and nice. Yeah. Uh, uh, exercise. Well, and what what the force right? We test the neck in the four vectors, right? So we do flexion, extension, yeah. and lateral flexion. We then look at the ratios between those, and we can tell where the weaknesses are. So if let's say, for example, we test and the flexes, the neck flexes are the weakest part of that profile. Well, then we now know what exact neck exercise to give you. We're not just doing extension yeah, like so. you might have done, or you know, rolling on the head yeah, for yeah. warm up. We're actually going really specific. But then on top of that, we can look at the type of exercise we prescribe. We might build from an isometric into um, an isotonic, into an oscillation drift, as we term it. It's kind of like a slow on-off kind of mechanism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we go into an oscillation, more of a ballistic nature. So that's closer to the fight, where if you're going to engage in a contest of um, throwing strikes, we found that with concussion, there's two main components to decreasing the risk of concussion. One is you want a strong neck, but two, you've yeah. got to be able to brace and therefore you need that reactivity to be able to see something coming and brace for it. And they're the two main components. So That's we try and start training those components or elements into our strength and conditioning sessions. Yeah, interesting, interesting. So one question, you know, I mean, so a lot of uh, athletes come into your training center. You said you have different level of the athletes. Uh, are you designing the training for them? I mean, you're not just you, your team designing training for them. Or I see because some of the UFC athletes, they have their own personal trainer. So how is the relation? How you, so you, yep. So the, how to work, you work with them. The, in China, the academy program is definitely us. So they're part of our facility. We prescribe to them 100%. Uh, UFC athletes, yeah. it's up to them. So basically the UFC Performance Institute, the services we provide from sports science, nutrition, strength and conditioning, um, physiotherapy is all free for any rostered UFC yeah. fighter. So, Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's to provide that health aspect to them, like where we are trying to look after their longevity of careers. But if you don't live in Las Vegas, and you live across the other side of America, or if you're an Australian UFC fighter, then it's very hard to take, make the most of those services full time because you don't live there. So it's basically up to the UFC fighter if they want to take on our services. We do do remote programming from SNC and nutrition, but a lot of the time, like you say, they might have their own strength and conditioning coach and that's completely fine. They might just engage with nutrition. That's also okay. So they have the choice as to like what they it. like to pick and what suits them as well. Yeah, this is this when you say this kind of thing. I remember the exosystem. I mean, just it's very uh, interesting. Mm. Yeah, I, I like it. I didn't notice the UFC is supporting that uh, that much their athletes, and they provide the different, like you say, nutrition, rehabilitation, yes. and uh, performance training. That's uh, uh, that's very good yeah. for. That's why UFC is UFC is different from others. That's right. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So we go back to uh, for uh, uh, the, you know we have a, a lot of injury in combat sport and UFC almost every uh, uh, every fight. So we have a fight related and like not fight related injury. Uh, how you deal with this? How was the strategy first for? Reduce. I think we cannot prevent. I mean, but for reduce injury, uh, and how how's your approach to this? I mean, before to reduce or after uh, they get injury. So we we found that most of the injuries come through training. Uh, so training. Yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously, a lot of the injuries that happen or occur during a fight are uh, contact based. So. A lot of it's soft tissue, yeah. contusions or concussions, those sorts of things. So I guess it depends on the injury. For example, if we're looking at training being the largest mechanism of injury, then the top five are seen to be neck, shoulder, knee, lumbar spine and ankle. So 
we can then look at that data and say, well, what are our tests around those areas for strength or mobility? Let's test them if that athlete has had a prior case of an injury and let's see if we can in integrate some remedial based exercises into the program because ultimately strength is going to be a large key to them decreasing the risk of getting yeah. injured, right? So we can focus a little bit yeah. on that for the individual athlete. But if we do get an injury from concussion, let's say, well, the process is that they need to come through our return to play concussion protocols. And we have a full systemized attack on that. And that involves both the physiotherapy slash medical side, but also the integrating with the strength and conditioning team as well. So they might come back, do a C3 logics test, which they had a baseline originally for. We've just integrated a, a test called the Buffalo concussion test, which then gives us information about how to then prescribe heart rates um, and readiness to train. And then we have a program in the SNC, which is very much fitted to their uh, phases of return to play for concussion, which might include things like uh, synaptic, which is hand-eye coordination. It might include mm -hmm. like a quiet stand on the force plates to see their um, inversion, eversion, uh, their, their sway, I guess. And so we can sort of connect all these dots and make sure that the athlete is ready to go back to training. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's interesting. So uh, when you see, I mean, like combat sport, UFC, they almost train everything. I mean, like, I mean, Mm -hmm. Fitness, not just that, just so fitness is fitness. They didn't, but they need to practice Muay Thai, Judo, wrestling, boxing. I mean, Jiu Jitsu. I mean, uh, I mean, they need to. So those sport technique, and they also they need to practice fighting, and then of course their fitness, and then they have also psychological, I, I think, training. So how you manage that load? How is the, how is the how is the you manage, and what's the fitness in that system i think this is definitely a work in progress within mixed martial arts and there's so many facets that i want to talk about it with this particular topic because in shanghai we're able to get a better grasp on it our head coach has got a background in strength and conditioning we all sit down and we work together like you would in a soccer team or a football team we work together to plan out the loading not only on a daily basis, but across the week and across the months. And we look at the loads that are affecting it. And then we'll get um, yeah. SRSS scores from our athletes via their phone every single morning. We also have aura rings, which we can monitor. Uh, and then we also prescribe particular recovery sessions based on what their session just was and what their session might be that afternoon or that next day. So in Shanghai, it's much easier because we're in control of everything and we work together on that. The problem here is that there's so many different great mixed martial arts clubs that have different routines. So yeah. the, the two main clubs here in Vegas, they spar on different days. So there's no one cookie cutter approach because everyone's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. So we need to learn what they do in in-house and the main thing of strength and conditioning coaches is we are the second wheel. We need to underpin what they are trying to do, not try and take over. It's more important they learn their yeah. martial arts skill than it is to get their strength and conditioning. We are important, don't get me wrong, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, we can't sure. be seen to go above and beyond and make them so tired that their sparring suffers. There's no point in that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. we try and utilize uh, first beat here in Las Vegas because we can get the athletes to strap that onto their chest while they're training, even with some wrestling and uh, grappling based scenarios. So we can monitor their training load every session they do. <clears throat> we also utilize aura rings and that'll give us a thumbs up, thumbs down when it uh, connects with our AMS system. And then obviously you can just talk to the athlete. So for me yeah, yeah. personally, by, by Friday, they're pretty gassed. And I know that yeah. that's going to be the case because a lot of them will train between three to four times a day. So yeah. by Friday, they haven't got much to give. So that's where something like the auto-regulatory progressive resistance exercise method might come in or utilizing gym aware or velocity-based training 
to monitor it. Like if they're still good, let's get after it. If they're not, well, that's okay. We're just looking at the velocity and that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what the weight on the bar is. Um, so that's where technology can sort of help us without even knowing what they've done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this year's the technology mm. sports sign help us uh, a, a lot. If you want to give a, like a, like a draft, uh, an idea. So can you go us through the, how is the training? How many times per week you do a, uh, like a strength and conditioning training, whatever is strengths, power, I don't know. Uh, speed, quickness, all the things mm -hmm. that give an idea to the coach if they want to design a training for their MMA athlete, what is the start, how they can do anything. Sure. Obviously, many ways to look at it, but I'll just give some ideas, I guess. And, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple, I guess, rather than specific exercises, it's more, let's, let's work backwards. So the, 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 there's usually three points that we need to think of. First one is when you're getting an athlete towards the fight there's three things you need to think about first is they're going to need to make weight second is you don't want to injure them and then finally third you can start thinking about performance outcomes so it's kind of that order exactly. in mma secondly when you're looking at their weekly structure um when is sparring that's the most important session sparring is the number one important training session it's the closest to the sport so let's say for example let's use an example of tuesday and thursday being the two sparring days that the athlete has i don't want to if i'm going to now start on my monday so if i'm doing a monday afternoon session usually they'll train two or three times a week depending on the person but let's go with we've got three yeah. sessions it's off camp yeah. we've got three sessions with them if i'm going to do a monday training session I have to think about that sparring session on the Tuesday. So if you think about what's going to fatigue that athlete the most or potentially cause the greatest soreness that may affect their sparring, then generally strength training is going to be that biggest um, killer of their sparring session. So that's why you probably pick yeah. the power or speed session on that Monday. Now, if they've sparred Tuesday morning and they want to, and that's a hard session, and they want to do a strength and conditioning session in the afternoon, then you can probably go hard and match that as well. So that might be where you do your strength and your glycolytic conditioning because that's a whole high day. Yeah, We're not just yeah, redlining exactly. across, right? So very tr yeah, yeah. traditional type periodization strategies, but I guess it's understanding what yeah. the important factors are in MMA, which is sparring. Or you could think of it like, yeah, when yeah. is the athlete doing their grappling or wrestling training? Well, maybe that's the day that we do strength as well because it's quite a similar sort of output. When are they doing their striking? Maybe we mirror that up with their speed and power day. So that's another way to look at it. Or yeah. alactic conditioning is on the speed and power yeah. days, glycolytics on your strength days, or aerobic is on those days as well. Um, and then you get into the off-camp versus fight camp. So usually you'll see a fight camp will be anywhere from six to eight weeks in length unless it's a late notice fight yeah and so i got this from the head coach in shanghai dean amazinger when he looked at periodization of the fight camp if you think fight week is going to be the easy week from a strength and conditioning not from a weight cut perspective yeah. from a strength and conditioning, that's easy and then t minus two would be moderate t minus three that would be your last high week then you just keep working back in a mod high low kind of scenario so those are some things as well like where does your conditioning stop for us in shanghai we knew what they were doing in their technical training so we would stop in probably five weeks out we would stop any sort of real conditioning maybe just a lactic top-ups um but we wouldn't do any aerobic or glycolytic work but then in the off camp we would then try and prioritize particular things for that athlete. Yeah. So we'd, we'd give them a profile and say, hey, your VO2 is fantastic. We probably just need to keep you doing what you're doing, but your glycolytic energy system, not yeah. so good. So we have to focus on that for you or someone else might be different. Yeah, that's, that, that's interesting. That's very good. So you have a, like a three level, you know, there's three, five level and every uh, level you go or every phase you go harder and harder until they get in the 
competition. Usually in UFC, how many comp uh, fight they have per years? Uh, the, I would say the average would be three, but some people have had. I think the most is five in a year, and then some people don't fight for like eighteen months. You know, depending on injury and things like that. So I'd say the average is three to four, but. Um, just it just depends really if they get the match up if they injury free the timing works out a lot of factors yeah that's not a lot it's not a lot i mean it's the in the but yeah, it's a brutal not... sport so it's probably enough you know <laughs> yeah 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 of course yeah. in the in the, that level they cannot fight more i mean no. from the business points or from the uh, training uh, point so in your approach can you because you have a, i mean now also ufc is uh, a lot of you have a lot of females athletes that they are getting i mean strong and strong and i mean everyone now enjoying uh, watching their fight and they are really i, I love to this training any different when we are training with the female and males uh, athletes there is anything we need to consider where training with females or the approach is system is the same we did find in shanghai that the training load of the technical training and probably a combination of technical and non-technical training that they all trained as an academy and we found that the females tended to maybe not handle that volume as well um the they yeah. they tended to get injured a lot more i'm not sure why no one really knows why at the moment that's one of the small things we did notice uh and then in uh, America, so far, I, I think the main thing that we're looking into is just the, the effect of the menstrual cycle and, and seeing how that affects their training outcomes because in such a high energy requirement sport, it, there's going to be weeks where that's a, that's a factor. So I, I don't know where that, that at the moment is a uh, to-be-determined project. So some, some fantastic yeah. ladies that are working at the PI now are really investigating that. But uh, at this stage, we're not sure. We don't know yet. Yeah, that's, mm. yeah, that's because, yeah, yeah interesting. Uh, one thing, uh, you know, because the uh, UFC also is a weight category. They have a different weight category, yeah. And so, and they need to, uh, all, some of the athletes, they need to cut weight. Uh, are you involving that? Uh, so you write a plan for them to cut the weight and this? Not, not me personally. Part of your responsibility? No, definitely. I mean, your team? Yes, yes. So we, we have um, um, a designated dietetics team that take athletes through that process because it is an extremely dangerous process. As an example, there's, yeah. you know, the, the target is for the athlete to be within 8 to 10% of their weight class in the final week. So they need to lose between eight and 10% of their body weight in that last week to make weight. Yeah. And that's usually through uh, gut content, um, fiber, and then obviously water. So that has to be done cleverly and timed correctly yeah, yeah. Uh, so that you can still, you, you could probably do that not safely, but you wouldn't be able to perform then. So it's about how much of that performance benefit that you've just worked so hard to, to get, can you hang on to after going through something so severe? And that's where our dietetics team comes into play and tries to do it in the most scientific and safe way possible. Um, there's still some people that will have issues. And, you know, just today, um, an athlete who's not in the UFC, but is close to it, was telling me that he, he had his fight, it went really well, but he had to lose 16 pounds in 16 hours. I mean, that's phenomenal numbers. And that was to make yeah. weight. And then he has to go and go into one of the hardest sports that's on this planet Earth right now. <laughs> you know, like it's crazy. So yeah, that's... it has to be done correctly. And the, the more often you do it uh, based on science, the longer your career is going to be as well. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, exactly. Because I remember when it, we, I was wrestling, you know, that like three, four days before the uh, competition, we start losing weight, and we did a lot of running. I remember once, uh, uh, you know, we had a that, so exactly the day before the competition, and it's just we don't know how to the, uh, lose weight. So I I went to the truck and I ran. 25 laps and like 10k yeah 
so I, I was okay after that. And then the day in the competition, the first three five wrestling, that was I was good. It was very uh, easy for me. Uh, but in the final, I couldn't do anything. I mean, I just stand and I just give up. I, I couldn't move. Yeah, I was out of the energy, and. I realized still uh, because I still contact with some of my athletes, some of my friends, or they are in the combat sport or uh, wrestling, judo, in a weight category sports, and still they have a problem. Mm. They have a problem. Sometimes they ask me, but me, I don't have a, that much experience in uh, this area. I mean, we read the books. We read the books. It's different now, isn't it? Reading is not. A, yeah. It's, it's a practical. You go doing and you need to implement it. So. Yeah. Uh, as soon as you. As soon as soon as you spend time with these dietitians and speak with them, you realize how little you know. It, it, they're, they're, exactly. they're so good at what they do. And I guess it's like any uh, professional at this level is that they've accrued this knowledge. So you could read a book, but they actually know more than the book because they've gone through the experiences and you just can't compete with exactly. that. And to be honest, I don't want to. Like I, that is, that's all them. Like I'll take on preparing an athlete in strength and conditioning every single day and I feel comfortable to do that. But to do what they do is just so out of my league now that I've been around them. That's, um, no, not for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, this is exactly. Just, the, do you, you talk about these things that we talk about the science and practical training. I mean, can you explain some, some people, they say, I mean, coaching is just a science. Some people said coaching is the art. So how do you see this? Which one? Sport is the art or is a I, I, science? I definitely both because the, yeah. the science is the theory, but the art is having the ability to transfer that knowledge to someone who hasn't had the opportunity to study it like you have. So I could yeah, tell exactly. you exactly what I learned in my masters. But if you're an athlete that's had no background in that, you have no idea what I'm talking about. In fact, we could talk about exactly. velocity and power and strength or force. And I'll guarantee you that there's almost 85 to 95% of athletes won't be able to tell you what the difference of those terms are. Yet we tell them this is about power. This is about yeah. force yeah. or velocity. So what's velocity? What do you mean? I mean, I know that's kind of like trying to be quick, right? But they couldn't tell yeah. you the difference of that. They don't know what power's calculation is. So why would you put it in those terms? Like, what do you, that's the art. How do you maximize yeah, exactly. the output of the athlete so that they understand what you want in their terms and they get better and educated and they go, ah, light bulb moment. I know what the coach is trying to tell me. That's the art. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Mm. I mean, you you are coaching for I think over like twenty years, and uh, you you have been co. I mean, you're coaching many uh, sports. I mean, like I it's, I mean, what I think a lot. I realized like uh, the period you were working with Shanghai team, you achieved amazing. I I think like three thirty three medals. Like I don't know twenty gold medals. Yeah. Something like this. I mean, the number was a, it's very a lot interesting. Of yes. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah <laughs> a lot of things. I mean, uh, I, and your background, I mean, from science, from Australia, state, China, different sport, and now MMA. Uh, I'd like you talk about the, to, to talk to young coaches. So how they can be a great coach? How is the approach? How they go through the, how they start and how they can achieve, get the level like you, how long does it take and how to go through that? I think this is, I, I would like to talk more about this. I yeah. think this is a very important question for uh, all the coaches. I guess, it, I guess it comes down to an example that happened literally today. So we have interns at the UFC and one of the interns today asked me, he looked at the clock and he said, how do you guys know that the session should go for exactly an hour. Like, how do you nail that? Like every coach was able to program for a one hour program for these athletes. And he just couldn't get it. He just didn't understand how we were able to do that. 
So the whole session is one hour? I mean, yeah. all the things? Or just, just, just one hour. Most of the time. Like, it, it depends yeah. on the yeah. phase. But generally, we'll give them an hour because they already train so much. We want to try and limit that to a very effective 60-minute period. Um, yeah. But he was astounded that we were able to do that so accurately, consistently. And I just said it was because you practice. Like, you... you you just have to get the experience. And I feel like that that's the answer yeah. to your question is you just, you, you, I feel like young coaches go, that's a sport I want to work in and that's all I'm going to do. It doesn't work like that yeah. most of the time, unfortunately. You have to do the, the hard yards in that you have to do sports or work in sports or work in locations yeah. that maybe is not your number one pick. But what yeah. is it that you're getting out of that that moment you might not know at the time but later on you'll realize ah okay all those lessons i got throughout that period has turned me into the coach that i am today and so when i first started i was working in australian sport but on the side i was also yeah. working with general populations as well just with my own business and that was fantastic because i was able to yeah. develop my skill of motivating a person who'd been at work from eight till five, they didn't really enjoy their training that much, but I needed to find ways to keep them motivated and interested and yeah. um, effective in their approach. So that's where, you know, test and retesting came in. That's where working out, yeah. finding out about the person, going a little deeper than just sets and reps. All those skills were developed by working with general populations. And then if you've got that skill set, you can then transfer that to athletes because yeah. Athletes are exactly the same. They're just really good at a sport. They're still people, right? Yeah. Like so. So yeah. if you want to get the best out of your athlete, understand them as a person, and and start working out ways that you can, I guess, get the most out of that person, right? Yes, they're yeah, athletes, exactly. but they're still a human being. So get the most out of that human. How do you do that? You talk to them. You find yeah. out about them. You find out what makes them tick. You find out if they're in a bad mood, and you ask them about it. Let's go there. Let's chat about yeah. it. It has to be more than just sets and reps. And I feel like that when you're at university, there's this thing where, oh, that's not by the book. That's not what chapter yeah. 16 said about uh, cluster sets. You're like, well, yeah. this person's a person. And today they just did three other sessions and you're the fourth. So let's be a little bit kind to them and we'll still get what we can out of this session because that's life and the book's not writing about life. The exactly. book's trying to educate you about exactly. best case scenario so that you understand it. Maybe you can't apply exactly. it that way today and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I think that's a, that's a good uh, suggestion. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we need as a coach, we need to study, we need to get that uh, uh, education and also practical and then step by step. I mean, we learn a lot of things that is not, they are not in the box, but it's the line experience and life experience, training experience, and also our work with the athletes and we are familiar, okay, these athletes, if they are different, I mean, different region, different religion, different uh, gender, and this uh, give us idea, okay, like you, what you say before, you, you talk with the athletes and just in a minute you give the idea and you say, how you do, how you know that? Yes. But they say, oh, I, it's not a guess. It's like over 20 years of experience I get to this and then I can uh, in a second give you an uh, uh, answer. Mm -hmm. I think that's very interesting. Uh, in these many years, you have been working with many coaches. You learned from a lot of coaches. Uh, first, uh, have you had a mentor? Uh, or do you have a mentor or a hat? Kind of. Yeah, kind of. I, I um, Three people who I look up to greatly in the industry um, are Dan yeah. Baker, Jeremy Shepard, and Duncan French. And I'm very fortunate now where I'm working alongside Duncan French every day, so that's fantastic. Um, Jeremy Shepard is a good friend of mine who was at Surfing Australia and is now at Canada Snowboard. Fortunately enough, my wife, who is a dietitian, works with him at Canada Snowboard. So I get to stay in touch with him a bit. And so he is someone that has grafted a lot of my thought processes as well. And then Dan Baker, I have a lot, uh, a fair bit to do with him, I guess, through the Australian Strength and Conditioning Association, 
just at conferences, but yeah. then also I love reading his work because he's a very practical coach. Like he, he's exactly what we were just talking about before. He has an amazing ability to yeah. connect with people, especially athletes that he's working with. And he's extremely clever as well. He does his PhDs are all about work that he did in the field. Like they're practical PhDs. It, it, like, yeah, I, I loved it. Yeah, exactly. I love those kind of, yeah. It yeah. makes sense. I can use this information. Yeah, exactly. This is great. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so I've always had a real uh, affiliation to that kind of work in the literature, in research. It's like I can use these pieces of information and it's real world settings, not lab settings, even though we need them as well. But that's the literature that I sort of drift towards, I guess, when I read things. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. I mean, those coaches, I'm more familiar with Dan uh, Becker because I love to uh, remember I watched his uh, video on YouTube. It was giving me a lot of information, mm. especially about the uh, strength uh, training. And But one I realized this past like four or five years, I mean, before I never, I, I know Dan Becker, I mean, it was, but I realized this past five, six years, the Australian performance coach, strength and conditioning coach is getting more and more. And anywhere you go, you talk with two, three coaches, one of them from Australia. And I think how, what's happening in Australia that we have a, such a uh, amazing and great uh, strength and conditioning coach, what's, how, what's the system they develop such a great coaches? That's a great question. I mean, I, I couldn't put my finger on it, but I do feel that the, the talent and the knowledge in Australia is is fantastic. It, it's really, really high level. And maybe that just breeds more of it. You know, the Australian Strength and Conditioning Association is doing fantastic things yeah. throughout Australia and really driving that from the front foot. And I just feel like people are jumping on that and wanting to be a part of it because they're really promoting it to practical level coaches their courses like if you want to be a level two australian strength conditioning coach you need to do a course and then you need to actually complete a booklet which is about your planning and your programming which is then marked by a current day high level snc coach so you're needing to prove that you can actually write out plans and programs and ideas and philosophies on paper whereas other sort of corporations are multiple choice questions. You just tick, tick the box. Yeah, yeah, you're, not, right. you're not having to explain yeah, exactly. where you're coming from. And to me, that's what coaching is. It's like, yeah, yeah, I could just rote learn this stuff. ACA is not doing that. They're like, pick a sport, pick an athlete. Give me, a, give me your annual program. Give me your macro cycles. Give me your training blocks, your phases. Why would you put up volume there? answer me it in this many words and then we'll mark you on it and question you on it. And then at the end of all of that, you have to write a lit review or a research paper that would be published in our journal article. And it stops people from going further than that if they're not really genuinely interested. Like, yeah, you've got to work at that. That takes a lot of work. So yeah, it takes. if you're not interested, you won't do it. And so it kind of pulls the weeds away and says, right, who's actually wanting to go here? And now if you're a level two ACA coach, you know that you're of some pretty good quality. Yeah, exactly. I, I go through their co coaching and I mean, this is what, like you said, is I mean, the assessment is, is crazy. I need you have to do a lot of things like you see. And, and the good thing is that the first day you go and they ask you to I mean, they give you a mentor. So, mm. you, I mean, you choose, a, I mean, I don't know, they choose or you choose. They have great coach with many years experience and you work with them and then you send all their information to them and you can get a good feedback and beside you get a good uh, sports science uh, knowledge. And what do you say? You go everything, you do homework. It's not like, what do you say? You just quiz that is 100 question, you go. Because now we, we in uh, we here in International Association of Strength and Conditioning, uh, now we are analyzing other association or uh, uh, organization who provide the course, and we realize, yeah, that is the problem. And in uh, most of the association, I mean, it's just a book. You study the book, and uh, even you don't need to. I mean, some of the course they get some 
performance or stringent conditioning license, they never done a push up or squat or never run run in their life. I hate so that. they are good at sports science, but not practical zero, nothing. But the thing I like, yeah, for uh, Australian system is, yeah, they, they go through everything. I mean, they're just not one. They science, practical, everything there uh, together. I like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this, uh, that was all my question, uh, Gavin. Uh, there is any question you would like, uh, you wish uh, I ask you, you want to talk about or anything you're interesting oh. to share with us? <laughs> Put me on the spot. Um, I guess that's what you were just saying at the end there. I think it's so important for particularly strength and conditioning coaches wanting to get into the industry or who are already in the industry and want to establish themselves. You cannot forget that you are your own guinea pig. You are the own, you're able to practice the ideas that you want to perform with your athlete. You have to do it first. Yeah. And the reason I have always said this is that let's say you're, um, one of the examples I use is we, we do a backward sled drag at the UFC. It's great strongman training and um, minimizes soreness, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. because I, I do that in my own training as well, by a certain point on that track, the legs really start to kick in and it's not very comfortable. And I know that because I do that every week. And so I will be able yeah. to say to the athlete, when you turn around and get back to the 10-yard line, that's probably when your legs are going to start hurting, but you've got to push through. As long as you don't stop, that's okay. Slow's okay. Stopping is not. Just keep yeah. pushing through. They get to the 10-yard line. They're like, how'd you know that? And that creates that buy-in because they're like, okay, well, this guy obviously does the things that, I, that he's telling me to do, so I trust him yeah. because he obviously has felt exactly. the same things that I've felt. If you haven't done it, there's so many things I've seen who, in coaches who don't train that they miss. They miss little coaching cues. They miss, miss little movements that might damage or create injury because you've done it and you've gone, ooh, that was close. I, I won't do that again. So it, I think it's absolutely essential that training is a large part of what you do, but it shouldn't at yeah. the same time overtake your job and create yeah. more interest, especially if you're working with general pops. I know a lot of coaches that have got into personal training, for example, because they like training, yeah. but then yeah. their attitude to their clients yeah. is horrendous. It's like, oh, can't wait to finish this session yeah. in so I can go and train, you know, chest and chest yeah. and guns. It's like, come on, mate. <laughs> Be yeah. professional. Be professional. It's just, you know. Yeah. It's it's amazing exactly. how lazy people can be in different facets, and that's just not something that I think S and C coaches should be. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, that is, when you say coach, I mean, if we are sport, we you know we look at them. You need to, uh, they have some. I mean, fitness level. I mean, it's like you cannot never you enter the gym or just go with sweet in the gym and just with the tie and just order the Atlas. They won't listen uh, to you. To do, I think that they won't listen. Yeah, they to listen. You. They don't. They won't. Yeah, I mean, but when they see, when they after the training finish, their coaches still are going to do some running, doing some weight training, or any other kind of exercise, swimming, cycling, and they say, "Oh, this is active." And yeah, they, they will. I think they listen more uh, uh, to you. I remember I was co uh, coaching one of the. Chinese team, uh, Chinese fencing team. So we had a running and I, in, uh, there was more fun in run uh, for enjoy. And I joined them and I uh, run with them and they were shocked. And they say, Abu, you are, you're good. You don't have a <laughs> muscle. How you can run that fast? I said, oh my God, man, guys, <laughs> when I was young, I ran like 200 kilometers per week, like 150 K per week. I mean, and then the signs the day after that they view change. Mm -hmm. They see, oh. It's respect. And it, before this, they thought I just, uh, I know just the books, signs, I just talk, talk. When they realize, oh, I can do things. And then their mindset just change. And then after they, they respect me, they ask me question. Yep. And I think that's, that's, that's the main thing you mentioned about. I mean, it's not, not science. You need to also go gym, do yourself, and then 
Uh, I mean, it's like I see some coaches, they talk about the squat, how to do the squat, how to do the bench press, but sometimes you need to go and show them. I mean, sometimes the athletes, they don't get it. Yeah. They just go, it's okay, you do like this. And why and, uh, Why would you listen to a driving instructor that can't drive? Exactly. It, it doesn't make any sense. It's the same thing here. Like you just said, if you can't do a bench press and demonstrate a bench press, how are you giving any kind of safety and trust to the athlete you're teaching this to? You don't know how to do it. Exactly. So you don't know what could go yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't know what weight they should be using. You don't know the technique that well. You've just read about it. Like, obviously, most people have done a bench press, but you know what I mean. It's uh, You have to be able to demonstrate if you're going to put it in your program. Don't put it in your program if you can't do it yourself to some kind of degree. You know, you might not be the best Olympic yeah, lifter, yeah. but you should be able to do a snatch yeah, yeah. and a clean and yeah. a, a split jerk exactly. or something like that. So Yeah, right. Yeah, to some level. Yeah, that's why we always, you know, the, we have a lot of students. I mean, especially most of them, they are student, university student. And I ask them, guys, yeah, study. Yeah, you need to study every day. But now in the school, you have a like weightlifting class, you have a CrossFit class. I mean, go as a student. Don't worry, work as a coach. Just as an athlete, find the coach and, uh, I mean, train with them. I remember I was in Beijing Sport University. I mean, the last semester, you just find one of the Chinese Olympic. I mean, she was world, uh, she was Olympian champion. She had many top athletes in the world. It was good opportunity. I would just say, go and say, please teach me. And he told me, Abu, but you are a strange coach. I mean, you need to teach my athletes. Say, no, I mean, you are qualified. You are doing this for many years. I mean, I'm nothing. I'm zero yeah. compared to you guys. Yeah. And I was, and I realized, wasn't I? I mean, one of the things uh, she taught me, I was, I mean, changed my, uh, all the training, uh, teaching approach or training system according to the weightlifting. Yeah. Thank you very much, Gavin. It was really pleasure for me. Anything you want to say? Any? Uh, I'm all good, mate. It was appreciate a your time. You. Yeah, absolutely. It was a pleasure to you. Thanks for your time. Uh, hope in future we have more time in future when you're, uh, you're, you have more time and then hopefully you can give us time in future and we do it again. It was amazing today. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Abu. I appreciate you, mate. Yeah, see you guys. Uh, see you next time. Bye-bye.